Good morning, everyone. My name is Melanie C. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and welcome to a special edition of a Vision for You Big Book Study. Today is Sunday, September 3rd, 2017, and the share IDs for Friday, September 1st, 2017, the 7 a.m. Eastern Time meeting is 10373-10373, and a 10 a.m. Eastern Time meeting share ID is 10374-10374. Today, A Vision for You presents From Arrogance to Acceptance. Arrogance is considered to be one of the least attractive personality traits of all. We can all spot it, usually in others, not so often within ourselves. We might all be a little shocked to learn that low self-esteem and anger is actually a form of arrogance. Therefore, we all hold some measure of arrogance inside, manifesting outward in our behavior and our treatment of others. In an odd way to win over the world, we usually deny or deflect this, this trait onto others. Individuals who exhibit such an overbearing attitude can be difficult to be around. In order to get the most out of life and recovery, we need to develop emotional sobriety. And this will not occur while we have an arrogant attitude. Learning to be humble, lacking arrogance, in sobriety can bring many great benefits, including the eradication of arrogance. Living daily in the 12 steps ensures a personality change, a real reordering of our brains, actually our entire thinking and outlook. So let's go to it. Let's get from arrogance to acceptance, from acceptance to gratitude and humility. And here to tell the tale of how this fellow has had such profound change in the circumstances is Christine M. Would you please help me welcome Christine M. to the line today to share her experience, strength, and hope. Good morning, Christine. Star one, Christine. Christine M. Maybe you have your own personal phone muted as well as the star one. Oh, sorry about that. Hey, Melanie, can I be heard okay? Hello? Hello, are you with us? I can hear you. Melanie, can you hear me okay? I can hear you okay. Are you there? Yes, I am. Sorry about that. Mm-hmm. You can go now. It's all been introduced and we're just eagerly awaiting. <laughs> okay, thank you so much for having me this morning. Um, I am really nervous right now. Um, this is my first time speaking on the special edition. Um, grateful to be here. Grateful to be recovered. Uh, my name is Christine M., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Missouri. Gratefully recovered. And I am going to um, get on my knees and open it up, open this up with prayer and invite God in. Dear God, please help me to set aside everything I think I know 
about myself, the big book, my disease, the 12 steps, this talk I'm getting ready to give, and especially about you, dear God, so that I might have an open mind and a new experience with all these things. Please help me to see the truth. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Thank you so much. And and that's what I was taught is to... um, Invite a higher power of my understanding in, which which I choose to call God. Um, so today I'm going to talk about um, <clears throat> what it was like, um, what happened, and what it's like now as a result of working the 12 steps and having had a spiritual awakening and living in steps 10, 11, and 12. Um, so to start out, you know, I... Um, I don't ever remember not being a compulsive overeater. Um, I can remember um, being three and four years old and um, hiding food and, you know, being sneaky with food and overeating to the point where um, I was sick. Um, And, you know, uh, I come from a... Italian family, and, you know, to them it is um, in order to show love, we give food, or in order to control, we give food, and um, that's just the way it was in my family, Um, and I carried that through with me through my life and um, acted like that toward my own uh, children when I had them, but um, that's not what makes me a compulsive overeater. Um, And I had to learn that in this program. And I just want to make that perfectly clear that, you know, um, for a long time I blamed my upbringing for why I was a compulsive overeater. Well, if they just would have did this or would have did that or whatever. And, you know, I do come from a um, very abusive um, childhood, sexually, emotionally, physically. But what makes me a compulsive overeater is that I have an allergy of the body and obsession of the mind, you know, and I no longer blame my family. Um, They did the best they could, and it's not what happened to me that caused me to be a compulsive overeater, I believe. Um, They did the best they could, and as long as I was blaming someone else, I was never going to take responsibility for my actions, and um, I would die in this disease. So what happened was, um, that's what I did, was I ate, and um, I ate, and I ate, and, you know, that continued um, through my life, um, up through my childhood. You know, in grade school, I can remember um, taking a jar of honey and um, drinking some of it, and then I hid it in a... um, a chest that I had that I put my things in, I hid it in there um, because that's what I used to do with uh, foods. And um, I went to open the chest and my two sisters were standing there and 
this jar of honey was laying there on top of my things, and they started to make fun of me. And, um, you know, I felt guilty. I felt shameful. I just felt really humiliated, you know, and I knew there was something wrong. Like, none of my other siblings are doing this. Why am I doing this? Why am I hiding? Why am I sneaking? So I had many experiences like that where I knew there was something wrong, but I didn't I didn't know what. You know, I just didn't understand what. I thought that I was bad. I thought that I was inadequate. You know, I thought that I was somehow flawed to the point where, you know, I was different. Something was wrong with me. Um, and I thought that it was a moral issue. I really did. I thought that for a long time. And um, so I continued to eat, and that's what happened um, through my teenage years. And then when I was 18, um, I discovered crack cocaine. And OA has a singleness of purpose. But the reason why I bring this up is because when I started the crack cocaine, that was the first time in life that I wasn't obsessing with food. You know, now I was obsessing about the crack cocaine. And so I started to smoke crack cocaine for um, the next couple of decades. And I was able to stay, I was either underweight or I was able to stay at uh, what I call normal weight. Um, and because when I was smoking crack, I didn't, didn't want to eat. And um, I thought it was great. So for the next um, for the next uh, couple decades, I stayed at a normal weight, like I said. And um, then I decided to um, that I had had enough, and I needed help with the drugs and the alcohol. So I went into Alcoholics Anonymous. And um, I got, I started recovery, and um, I gained 200 pounds in two years. And um, a friend of mine from the program said, you know, I, I told my sponsor about it, and she's like, it's okay, it'll just, it'll all even out. Like, she did the best she could. She was, she wasn't a compulsive overeater, so she didn't understand, and I didn't understand. Um, so my friend said, Christine, I think there's something wrong with you. You know, you say that you can't stop eating and no one, you know, who gained 200 pounds in two years? And um, and so he said, I've been listening to some podcasts in Overeaters Anonymous. I want you to listen to a couple of these. So I listened to them and um, and I knew that that was me. I knew that that was me, um, and I went to my first um, meeting of Overeaters Anonymous in 2006, and the first few meetings I went to, um, I didn't hear anything about the big book. I heard um, just do 90 and 90, 90 meetings in 90 days. Um, it's okay that you're still in the food. You can go through the steps like that. Um, and bless their hearts, they did the best they could, and they were beautiful people, but um, their experience was different. And um, and I tried that, and it didn't work for me. Um, 
just just I just didn't have the depth and weight that I needed to get recovered. Um, and so I started going to other meetings, and God has blessed me with really good, strong sponsorship, but I just wasn't ready. Um, so the reason why this talk is from arrogance to acceptance, I came up with that title because that's what happened to me. Um, from 2006 to um, 2015, I was in the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous, and I was dying in the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous because I was so cocky and so arrogant because I thought that because I was an Alcoholics Anonymous and that I was recovered and that um, I had knowledge of the big book, I thought that that would get me through. I thought that I could transfer that to Overeaters Anonymous and that I didn't have to do the work that everyone else was doing to get recovered. And, you know, a couple people on this line lovingly said, you know, Christine, AA credits don't transfer to Overeaters Anonymous. And that, it didn't mean much to me at the time because I was so arrogant, but it means so much to me now because that's the truth. I had to have a completely separate spiritual experience as pertaining to the food through the work of the 12 steps. Um, and then um, 11, 10, 11, and 12 with my addictions, with all my addictions. So, um, so let me take a moment here. Okay, so... So in the rooms, I was um, I would sit in meetings and I would I would compare out I would identify out I would disqualify myself from this program. I had that pride in reverse that the twelve and twelve talks about. You know, um, I would sit in meetings and think, well, they haven't sunk as low as I did. They don't know what I've been through. Um, how could they possibly know? They have more money than me. You know, look, they have this and I don't, or they have that and I don't, or, you know, um, they're different. Whatever it was, um, any excuse that I could come up with to identify out. And um, it was always, the excuse was always me somehow being less than. And then um, sometimes I'd have periods of abstinence where I would think that I was better than, you know, and I had weight loss. And... um. I was very cocky and arrogant. Like I said, what could these OAs possibly tell me about my big book? You know, it's my big book, and I know the book, and there's not anything that I could possibly learn. I've learned it all. I know it all, and that was my attitude. And I would get, like, um, 30 days of abstinence and go back into the food. I would get two weeks of abstinence and go back into the food. And... um and then I would say, well, OA doesn't work. It's the people in OA. OA isn't as big as AA. OA isn't as strong. I would always compare OA to Alcoholics Anonymous. And, um, you know, oh, it's the people. Oh, it's whatever, whatever I could use as an excuse because I didn't want to look at myself and I didn't want to face the fact that I was cocky and I was arrogant, I was closed-minded and I was stubborn and that... Um, I just didn't have the willingness to go to any lengths, and I didn't want to put the food down. You know, I always had an excuse. I didn't want to put it down, and there'd be sometimes I would be abstinent, and it would be like, I would say out loud, God, I know where this could lead. I know that I'm not going to be able to stop once I start, 
but this is too painful and I just can't do this. And I would say that. Um, and so I, uh, my higher power had to get bigger because in my mind, my higher power wasn't enough, uh, was no match for this disease. I had had this disease since I was three or four. I didn't think really there was a way out. And so um, I didn't think, I thought that I was more powerful than God and that food was more powerful than God. And food is just food. It just sits there. You know, I have to pick it up and put it into my body. So um, today I know that God, you know, my higher power is is all-powerful and all-knowing and all-loving. But um, so, sorry, I had to take a second. So now I'm in OA, and um, like I said, I'm dying in the wounds. I'm trying to sponsor, and it's all an ego trip. Now I got all this pride and all this ego. I'm going to sponsor, and I'm going to tell them what to eat, and I'm going to tell them what to do. And, um, you know, I would go to OA meetings, and I would get up three or four times like I was getting water. And while I was while I was walking to get water, I would think, I wonder if they noticed my figure. I wonder if they noticed how much weight I lost. You know, damn, I look good. You know, it was so it was so egotistical, and you know, God's no way to be found in that. And that's just you know what it was like for me. And it was very it was a very painful time, very lonely because I was judging everyone right out of my life. And I, I just didn't think that it would work for me. It may work for you guys, and God may be, uh, you know, powerful enough for your addictions, but not for the food, not for me. Somehow I was always different. And so what happened for me was because of the arrogance and the lack of acceptance, and the lack of willingness, and the lack of open, open-mindedness, open and the lack of honesty. Um, I would try to use other people as higher powers, sponsors as higher powers, other people as higher powers, and um, it never worked because they're human and they will fail me just like I'll fail people, and I had to learn that the hard way. And um, I got to a point where I had lost the weight and then I had gained the weight back and um, I was 350 pounds and I couldn't wipe myself when I used the bathroom. I couldn't tie my shoes. It was hard to wear a seatbelt. People would make fun of me and holler out their car windows, you know, fat, ASS and those types of hurtful things. And um, I had a hard time finding clothes, and I was just spiritually dead on the inside. And um, because I was blocked, even though I was recovered in AA, I was spiritually blocked by the food and by all the selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. And I ended up relapsing. After six years in Alcoholics Anonymous, I ended up relapsing. Um, And it it all had to do with, you know... um, wanting to be the best and wanting to know the most and wanting to be first. I was very selfish and self-centered and wasn't being honest with myself at all. 
and um, I ended up relapsing. Um, and um, I ended up going to a treatment center and then um, getting recovered again in Alcoholics Anonymous. And um, I had four months sober. I was recovered, actually. And um, I was eating so much, and I was getting so sick. And I was in my living room one night. I had been praying and asking God for the willingness because I couldn't muster up the willingness by myself. And it's like this willingness just came to me, and this fire just was lit under me. And um, I knew that if I didn't get recovered in Overeaters Anonymous and live in 10, 11, and 12 to stay recovered, get a spiritual connection, and reach out to God like I never have before, that I was going to relapse on the crack cocaine and the alcohol again. I could feel it. I knew it. I could see it coming. And um, I remember I had this reclining chair in my living room, and half of my body was on the chair, and half of my body was on the floor. And I just cried out to God and said, God, please help me. Because if I go back to the drugs and alcohol, I'm going to die. Please help me surrender everything to you. Please help me to get recovered from all my addictions and finally be the woman that you've always intended me to be. Um, and that was the beginning of me humbling myself and just telling God, you know, without you, I'm absolutely nothing. I'm absolutely nothing. And... um to to um, talk about a little bit, I want to backtrack a little bit, and, and I want to say this, and, and God's putting this on my heart, because um, the promise has come true for me. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. I also, um, I have done some, you know, I was willing to go to any lengths to get the food that I wanted, you know, um, I would shoplift, and I have shoplifting charges on my record from um, years ago from shoplifting. Um, I have prostitution charges for selling my body for money to get food because um, I was on a fixed income, and when I ran out of money, I would sell my body to get food. I would stand in front of grocery stores and panhandle and ask people to buy me things to eat. I would spend my rent money. I would spend my bill money on food. Um, I would eat food out of the trash. Um, I would lie about food. And I'm saying that because I know that there's people out there who have done those things and they're feeling like they're alone and that there's no way out and that they're the only one. And, and you're not the only one. And um, God has delivered me from all that, and I'll talk about that in a minute. I just want to mention that because... You don't have to go down as far that far, but that's just my story. It's not a requirement. So if you're sitting here listening and you're new or you've been around a while and you're struggling and you're thinking, well, when I get as bad as her, then I'll stop, because that's what my disease would be telling me. Um, you don't have to go that far. You can put the shovel down and surrender and reach out and ask for help. So I just wanted to say that. I want to make sure I'm transparent as possible. Um, and so to, to fast forward and go back to where we were, um, so after I cried out to God that day, um, 
I called Vision the next day. That was in November of 2015. I called Vision the next day and um, asked someone to be my sponsor. And she said yes. And um, I was still very cocky and very arrogant. And um, I was supposed to meet with her on the phone to do the doctor's opinion. And I called her, and she said, I'm in the store, you know. And um, and I said, well, I don't remember if I told her this or if I just thought this, but it was like, well, you're not doing it the way I want you to do it. You're not you're doing it perfect, so I don't want you as a sponsor. And um, just a little thing like that. And um, I remember... Um, telling her that I didn't need her as a sponsor anymore, and then um, it's like God just kind of knocked me upside the head and said, Christine, that's your cockiness and your arrogance. That's your, you expect yourself to be perfect, and you're projecting that on everyone else, and we're all just human. And so um, I called her back, and I said, you know, that was my fear. That was my cockiness. That was my arrogance. Um, will you please be my sponsor because I'm dying and I need help? And she said yes. And, um, you know, we went through the steps at lightning speed. It was so important to do that because I was dying. And um, we went through the steps directly out of the big book. And so I'm going to talk about the steps for a minute. Um, so step one. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. And the principle for step one is honesty. So I had to get honest with myself that, um, yes, I have this uh, allergy of the body, obsession of the mind, an allergy of the body. I mean, an obsession of the mind that is going to come up with some line of crap good enough for me to believe that it's okay to eat. Somehow it's okay to eat my binge foods, and somehow it's okay to engage in my um, compulsive food behaviors safely. And it will convince me of that um, if I'm not spiritually connected. And then, you know, um, when I put any kind of allergic substance into my body, it sets off the phenomenon of craving, which is a physical allergy, and I can't stop, and there is no off switch, and I can't tell you if and when I'll be able to stop. I know I was abstinent for a while and um, picked up the food, and I was in relapse for three years. So I just don't know if and when I'll ever be able to stop. And um, so step one, we admitted we were powerless over food, and then our lives had become unmanageable. You know, um, it's the, the big book says on page 30, it says, we learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. This is the first step in recovery. The delusion that we are like other people are presently may be has to be smashed. We alcoholics are men and women who have lost the ability to control our drinking. We know that no real alcoholic ever recovers control. All of us at times... All of us felt at times that we were regaining control, but such intervals usually brief whenever we followed by less control, which led in time to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. We are convinced to a man that alcoholics of our type are in the grips of a progressive illness. Over any considerable period, we get worse, never better. And this disease is progressive and it's fatal. And it has progressed for me over the years. Um, 
lines that I said I would never cross, I've crossed in order to get seen. So, um, and I had to get honest with myself that, you know what, I've tried everything else. I've tried everything else. I couldn't have any more tricks up my sleeve. I had to be willing to do it, you know, by way of the big book, the way the first 100 did it. Because if I went with this book promises, I have to do what this book says. That's what I was taught. And so, um, you know, I'm never going to regain control over food. I'm never going to not be a compulsive overeater. I'm a real compulsive overeater. And, you know, it talks about um, that they talk, also talks about the countless vain attempts to prove I can drink like other people, that I could eat like other people in this case. Um, and I can't. I can't safely use sugar or flour or fried food. And I can't eat in volume because that sets me off as well. And everyone's food plan looks different. But abstinence is the same for every person. You know, the World Service Office gives us a definition of abstinence. Refrain from compulsive overeating and compulsive food behaviors while working toward or maintaining a healthy body weight. That doesn't change for me. And I used to think that changed for me. Well, you know, um, I feel like doing it. I feel my food plan should be this way one day and this way another day. And, um, you know, it's not like that. If I'm allergic, I'm allergic. If I'm allergic to sugar on Monday, I'm going to be allergic to sugar on Wednesday. You know, um, and so step one, I had to get honest with myself first and foremost that, you know, I'm never going to recover control that I've had uh, intervals, brief intervals, but they're followed by still less control every single time. And I was like a person who had lost her leg. I'll never grow a new one. So I can get recovered from this disease, but I'll never not have it, you know. Um, step two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity, and the principle of step two is hope. And if, you know, lack of power is my dilemma in step one, and, you know, my life is unmanageable, my life is unmanageable with or without the food. When I'm without the food, I'm restless, irritable, and discontented. And when I'm in the food, I'm dying of this disease, and I'm, I'm in self-pity and fear and, and all those other defects. So step two is hope. Hope that something greater than me um, will solve my problem. And, you know, this is, I used to get stuck on step two and think that I had to understand God and I had to know exactly what it was and all those things, and it's not. All I have to do is be willing to be willing to believe, you know. Um, and I want to read this. It says, much to our relief, we discovered we did not need to consider another's conception of God. Our own conception, however inadequate, was sufficient to make the approach and affect a contact with him. As soon as we admitted the possible existence of a creative intelligence, a spirit of the universe underlying the totality of things, we began to be possessed of a new sense of power and direction, provided we took other simple steps. We found that God does not make too hard terms for those who seek him. To us, the realm of the spirit is broad, roomy, all-inclusive, never exclusive or forbidding to those who earnestly seek. And, you know, that's a promise as far as I'm concerned, you know, that God doesn't make too hard terms with those who seek him, and I found that to be true. And so, um, you know, and I always wanted to understand God. The truth of the matter is 
I'll never be able to understand God. God is way too big for me to understand. That's why it's a God of my understanding, because I don't want a God that I can fully understand, because that would make my God limited. And, you know, as a human being, I'm limited. So I don't want my higher power to be limited. And that's pretty arrogant of me to put uh, limits on God to say what, you know, he can and can't do. And for me, it is him. So what he can and can't do, and it, it all, you know, boils down to, you know, uh, you know, my, me, me asking the sponsor, my sponsor, sponsor asking me, you know, do you believe what works for me will work for you? Yes. Okay, let's move on. You know, and we don't have to stay stuck because it said came to believe in the power greater than ourselves. And on page 47, it says we need to ask ourselves but one short question. Do I now believe or am, or am I even willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself? And then it said as soon as a man can say that he does believe or is willing to believe, we emphatically assure him he is on his way. So, you know, then I'm on my way. Um, and... You know, I had to have these steps broken down to me as simple as possible because I want to complicate things. This disease wants me to complicate things. Well, see, I told you it was going to be too hard. I just can't do this. That's what my disease wants. My disease wants two things. It wants me isolated and it wants me dead. So then um, I was able to um, slowly start coming to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity because when it comes to food, I'm insane. I'm strangely insane like the big book talks about. Um, step three, the principle of step three is faith. And, um, you know, page 60 to 63, it talks all about, you know, how I was trying to live on self-will and the first requirement that I be convinced that any life will on my will can hardly be a success. And, you know, on page 60 to 63, I was taught to personalize this and, you know, um, put I in the place of the alcoholic or the actor. And when I did that, you know, it helped me to see that, yes, I was trying to run the show, uh, put everybody in these, you know, little slots where I thought they should be. I was trying to fix all the outside circumstances so that things would be my way. You know, if I just fix this, if I just lose weight, if I just get this new gym membership, if I just get this new guy or whatever, it was always trying to fix an outside circumstance. And the point is I'm spiritually sick on the inside. These steps are an inside job. They work from the inside out. So this wasn't about me fixing all the externals so that it would fit to my liking. It wasn't about that at all. And it talks about selfishness, self-centeredness that we think is the root of our troubles, driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity. We step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. So I was stepping on my fellows' toes and they were retaliating, and then I would play the victim and say, look at what everyone's doing to me. Look at what they did. Oh, poor me. And the truth was I set the ball rolling in many of those situations. So um, then on page... 62 at the bottom, it says, this is the how and the why of it. First of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. Next, we decided that hereafter in this drama of life, God was going to be our director. He is the principal. We are his agents. He is the father, and we are his children. Most good ideas are simple. And this concept was the keystone of the new and triumphant art through which we passed to freedom. So I had to quit playing God, you know, because. Um, for me, I can't worship two masters, and I was worshiping food, 
I was worshiping other things. And um, so I had to quit thinking that I knew best and had to quit, you know, trying to run the show. I was never really running the show. It was just a false sense of control. But to stop thinking that I was going to run the show and that everything was always going to go my way. And um, for step three, for me, this is just about, you know, I thought this was about turning something over. And this isn't about that. You know, just like what's said on this line, um, you know, they say that if I could turn things over in step three, this would be a three-step program. And I find that to be so true because all I'm doing in step three is I'm making a decision to work the rest of the steps. You know, my thoughts and my actions, uh, um, you know, being willing, you know, making a decision. All I'm doing is making a decision to turn my will and my life, my thoughts and my actions over to the care of God as I understand Him. You know, for me, it's like this. Um, you know, uh, I'm going to work these steps. I'm willing to do um, whatever it takes. I'm willing to do what this book says. I'm willing to do what my sponsor suggests. It's never worked for me before. I hear the people on Vision saying it works for them, you know, saying that they have a God of their understanding and that they've taken these steps and that they've had a spiritual awakening as a result. I don't know if it's going to work for me, but God, I'm willing to, I'm willing to free fall and go on to step four and go on to the rest of these steps and trust that, that it's going to work for me too, that there's going to be something there to catch me, you know. Um, and so that's what it looks like for me. And then in the third step prayer, you know, I'm offering myself to God. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Renew me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help with thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. And, you know, I used to think it said, Renew me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulty so that I don't have to feel pain anymore and so that everything goes my way. And that's not what it says. It says, take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help. So this is about me, you know, um, using my experience to benefit others. That's what this is about. And I can tell you right now that God has um, taken every experience that I thought was so horrible and turned it into... Um, an asset to help other people in this program. And that's a promise that has come true for me as well. And then for step four, um, made a searching and fearless small inventory of ourselves. Um, step four, the principle to step four is courage. And on page 63, it says, next we launched out on the course of vigorous action, the first step of which is a personal house cleaning, which many of us never attempted. So our decision was a vital and crucial step. It could have little permanent effect unless at once followed by a strenuous effort to face and be rid of the things in ourselves which had been blocking us. Our liquor was but a symptom, so we had to get down to causes and conditions. So at this point, you know, um, um, I, I said the third step prayer, um, offered myself to God, and I'm starting to put pen to paper. It says next we launched. So once I say the third step prayer, I'm not waiting until I feel comfortable. I'm not waiting until I get the right color notebook and the right color pen because I've used all that as excuses before. I'm putting pen to paper um, ASAP so that I can get on, so that I could be on the beginning to the road of getting unblocked. And so you know the food was just a symptom. Um, 
those defects, you know, all that fear, all that selfishness, dishonesty, and resentment, you know, all these defects, these instincts gone astray that um, that God had meant for good, but um, I had taken them to a whole other level. And so um, they turned out to be not so good for me or for anyone else. So, um, and I'm doing step four. Um, there's four parts. There's a resentment inventory. There's a fears inventory, there's a sex inventory, and there's a harm done inventory. And, you know, um, I am, I am, what I found was that um, the other four steps that I was doing weren't honest. I would add things in to make myself look really, really, really bad so that I could be so sick and you'd feel sorry for me. Or I would add things to look really, really good so you would think that I was really, really cool. And, um, at this point, like I said, when I surrendered on my knees that night, I was willing to go to any lengths. So I put everything down. And, um, you know, this time I was willing, before I had just been stuck on the cause, what they did to me. And this time I was willing to also look at the exact nature of my wrong. You know, what did I do to set the ball rolling in this situation? And, you know, there were some things on my fourth step that I was like, okay, well, um, I was molested when I was a child. Um, my mother abandoned me when I was four. What could I possibly have to do with those things? I didn't cause those things. I was just a little kid. Well, the truth of the matter is I didn't cause those things. But when I became, through my teenage years and when I became an adult, I used, as a, used that as an excuse to act out sexually. I used that as an excuse to hurt others. I used that as an excuse to go back to my family and steal and try to punish them for what I thought that they did. You know, I use that as an excuse for lack of education, for lack of discipline. So, you know, there's my part right there. And um, and then page 65 says, we went back to our lives, nothing counted but thoroughness and honesty. So I had to be willing to be honest, as honest as I was able to be. And I'm going to speed this up some because I'm being mindful of the time. Um, Step five is integrity. So in step five, I'm admitting it to God and my sponsor or a closed mouth trusted friend if there is a witness to um, hear my fifth step. And I am telling all these things that are on my fourth step. I'm admitting all these things. And, you know, my sponsor or whoever I'm doing this with, as well as myself, I'm able to begin to see a pattern of behavior, a pattern of defects. And, um, you know, the big book talks about if we skip this vital step, we may not overcome drinking. And I did skip the vital step, and I didn't call, overcome eating. So, um, you know, um, it's, I don't get to skip any step, and I don't get to do half measures. You know, I have to be willing to, um, to do the best I can and be as thorough and honest as possible. So step six. So step six says, um, we have emphasized willingness as being indispensable. Are we now ready to let God remove from us all the things which we admitted are objectionable? Can he now take them, everyone? So step six is we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. So 
you know, um, once I went through my fifth gap, I was, I was, I was ready. I was ready. I was so sick of living the way I was living. I was sick of being, you know, angry. I was sick of being um, separated from the sunlight of the spirit. I was sick of being separated from my fellow man. And so I was ready. Um, and um, I, I, I did, for me, gossip was a thing for me that I used to uh, make myself feel superior. So I did um, ask for willingness to let that go. I asked God to help me be willing because I knew that was something that I um, still kind of enjoyed because, you know, I would, um, if I talked about you and, and put you down, then I could feel better about myself and what I was doing. And um, that has gotten so much better by the help of God in this program. But I just wanted to say that. So all those became objectionable to me. And like I said, I had to ask God for willingness. Willingness for me is a gift from God. It wasn't something, anything that I could muster on my own. So then in step seven, step seven, um, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Um, so step seven, you know, the prayer. You know, once I'm willing, in step six, I go to the seventh step prayer when ready. We say something like this, my creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I'm, I pray that you now remove from me every single defective character which stands in my way, stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. So, um, so I'm saying this prayer and I'm offering myself to God, good and bad. Before it was just like God was kind of a pinch hitter and I would run to him when, um, when things were going wrong, I need God all the time, good and bad. I have to give. He wants me, all of me, good and bad. He loves all of me, good and bad. At least the God of my understanding does. And, you know, I have to be um, asked that God remove every single defective character. And so these character defects will be removed in God's way, in God's time. It's not up to me to, to remove them or pick, tell God which ones I want removed. Um, it is up to me, however, to continue to work these steps so that I can have that spiritual transformation, so that I will have a change in my personality, so that I can be of better service to God and to those about me. Um, step eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. So in step eight, um, I'm becoming willing to go out and repair the damage uh, in my past that I... I'm doing something right now. Could you wait three seconds? Are you able to wait three seconds? I'm catching Hello? You. Hi. Uh, Go ahead, Christine. My apologies. Oh, okay. Sorry about that. I don't know what happened. It's not you. Um, it's not you. Okay. It wasn't you. Okay. Okay. Um, so, step eight, I'm becoming willing. I'm asking God for willingness, and then I'm making an eight-step list, which I take from my fourth step. Um of my harm done list, and I make a list of the people I harm and, and what I did. And, um, and then I'm not doing any, I'm not um, making any amends in step eight. I'm just making a list and becoming willing. If I'm not willing, I ask my higher power for willingness. And then in step nine, make direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. So, um, I'm sorry, I forgot to say the principle of step eight is discipline. The principle of step nine is love. And so I'm going out and repairing the wreckage. 
that, you know, first, you know, me and, and God and uh, my sponsor are going to come up with a plan. You know, I was taught that you just don't go out willy-nilly making amends, that you work with the sponsor, and that you work with God, and that you, you know, um, figure out what needs to be made directly and what needs to be made indirectly, you know, because I don't want to cause harm to anybody else. I don't have a right to, you know, um, to go out and hurt people just so I'll feel better because that's causing further harm. Some things couldn't be made directly because it would cause further harm. Um, and I'm not, you know, going out and saying, I'm sorry. For me, I was taught to say I was wrong. I was wrong for this and this and this and this. You know, my behavior was such and such and such and such. Um, my regret, what I can do to make it right. What can I do to make it right? Is there anything I left out? That's, that's what I was taught. I'm not asking, will you please forgive me or do you accept my apology because it's not about me asking for anything, you know. Um, it's about me acknowledging the fact that, yes, I hurt you and I know you were harmed. And um, I'm willing to straighten out the path to the best of my ability. It's not about me blaming them or saying, well, you know, if you wouldn't have said this, I wouldn't have said what I said. It's not about that at all. So there's eight steps before you actually get to the ninth step and start to clear up the wreckage of our past. So, you know, I have to do those eight steps first. I know in the beginning I wanted to go from step one to step nine and go to um, just wandering around and telling everybody I'm sorry. And the truth of the matter is people have been hearing I'm sorry my whole life from me. And um, most of the time I was just saying I'm sorry so that I could come back and do the same thing again. So. Step nine is also about amendment. It's about amend. It's about amending the behavior. It's also about, um, you know, working these steps so that our behavior will change. Because I can't just go and apologize to someone and then, you know, turn if I'm going to turn around and do the same thing. So that's why I say there's eight steps. Eight steps before that. And then step ten is perseverance. So step ten. Um, is on page 84, and it talks about, you know, during the day when I am disturbed, when I'm selfish, dishonest, resentful, or fearful, that, you know, I, um, when these crop up, that I discuss them with someone immediately. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, I ask God to remove them. I discuss them with someone immediately. I make amends quickly. If I've harmed anyone, then I resolutely turn my thoughts to someone I can help. You know, I'm not perfect at any of this. I make a lot of mistakes. I have to do a lot of 10 steps. I get resentful at the drop of a hat. I have to do a lot of 10 steps. Um, but thank God this 10th step is here because then I continue to stay unblocked. Because if I'm blocked and I don't 10 step, there's only so long that I'm going to be able to stay blocked before I go face down into the food. And I know that. Anything that blocks me off from God has to go. doesn't matter what it is. So I have to have God's help with that, and I also have to have the help of my fellows, and they can help me do the turnaround and see, you know, where, where, what defects I'm living in. And that um, I can say I, the prayers I need to pray, such as the resentment prayer, or the fear prayer, or the set-aside prayer, and I can make amends if need be, and then I can resolutely turn my thoughts to someone I can help, because that's what this whole thing is about. It's about helping others. It's about getting out of ourselves and helping others. Um, step 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 
So step 11, you know, um, improving conscious contact with my higher power. You know, through prayer and meditation, you know, page 86 through um, 88 tells me exactly what to do. It tells me what to do upon awakening. It tells me what to do when I retire at night. It also tells me that during the day when I'm agitated or doubtful that I pause. I don't just, you know, have a knee-jerk reaction, but I pause. Um, sometimes I'm able to pause really well. Sometimes I'm not, and I do do that knee-jerk reaction, and I have to go back and clean it up and make amends. But I'm learning more and more to pause and to invite God into every decision I make, not just what I think God needs to be invited into. So, um, and then step 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive readers and to practice these principles in all our affairs. So, step 12, I'm taking everything I learned in this book and I am, you know, putting in the practical application in my life and um, practicing these principles in all my affairs. It's not just when I'm a meeting, when I'm in a meeting or when I'm around old ladies. It's, it's through my life and every aspect of my life. And like I said, I do not do that perfect by any means. Um, and it's also about working with others. The first page on 89 says practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when other activities fail. This is our 12th suggestion. Carry this message to other alcoholics. You can help when no one else can. You can secure their confidence when others fail. Remember, they are very ill. So, you know, what's going to ensure immunity from me compulsively overeating isn't a 30-day coin or the right sponsor or, you know, being at the right place at the right time or who I know or knowledge of the book or anything like that. It's going to be working intensely with others. I have to be willing to work with others, you know, and I was taught that, yes, I'm going to be inconvenienced, but if I'm not, in, if I'm not inconvenienced by program, then I'm doing something wrong because I'm going to be inconvenienced. You know, I'm not going to be comfortable all the time. I'm going to be in pain. That's part of life. You know, um, one thing I want to share, um, my time is almost up, and that is um, so what it's like today through the work of the steps that I just mentioned is that um, I have a full, meaningful life today. You know, that prostitution and all those things I mentioned the lengths that I want you to get food, I now turn that into any lengths to um, get recovered and stay recovered. Um, and so, you know, I no longer behave in those ways, and I know that those behaviors didn't define me. Um, those are behaviors I do when I'm sick in this disease. I'm a sick person needing to get well, and I am getting well, and I am recovered and living in steps 10, 11, and 12 so that I can continue to grow spiritually and stay recovered, and be of service to God and to my fellows. Um, how I knew that I was truly recovered and that this program really worked and just how powerful um, God was, was um, my son was murdered two and a half years ago, and um, he was shot 12 times in gang violence, and so um, I was not abstinent when he died. Um, but I ended up getting abstinent a few months later, and that's when I ended up getting recovered. And um, last November, um, 
I went to his um, his murder trial, and uh, you know, by the grace of God, in these twelve steps and the personal transformation that I've had through my journey through the steps, I was able to go there and be there for my five daughters that were alive and speak for my son, and you know, um, face his murderer and tell him, you know, just what he took from our family, but also tell him that I felt forgiveness in my heart for him. And that is only by the grace of God in this program. I would not be able to do that by myself. On my own devices, I would have made it all about me. I wouldn't have been there for my kids. I probably would have lost my temper in the courtroom, and I would have felt completely and totally resentful, and I would have used that as an excuse to eat. You know, and I didn't have to do that. And not only did I um, didn't think about the food, I didn't want the food. But I can tell you that sometimes I do have food thoughts. Um, sometimes I do. And when I look underneath that, it's because I'm, I'm living in selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. So when I do have food thoughts, you know, God does restore me to sanity and says, you know, reach out. Pick up the phone, reach out, pray. And that's what I do. I pray and re pick up the phone and reach out and do a 10th step and those thoughts go away. So I just wanted to be honest that I do still have food thoughts. I don't ever want to think I'm so recovered that I'm never going to have a thought or that I can't admit that I have thoughts. And so, you know, I'm a productive member of society today. You know, I'm a member of, of Overeaters Anonymous. You know, I'm God's trusted servant. And um, today, you know, that arrogance, sometimes I still get arrogant, but most of the time it is um, just a God-centered humility and gratitude for where he has brought me from and where he has brought me to. And um, the ability to be able to work with others. And like I said earlier, the, the um, gift that God has given me to take all those things, even my son's death, and turn it into an asset. God wastes nothing. So all the things that were so painful to me that I thought I was going to take to my grave, that I was never going to share on a fifth step that I finally shared, God has used that to the good for me to work with other women in this program and be able to be a part of their spiritual transformation. Um, if you're new or if you've been around a while and you think that this won't work for you or, you know, for me, one thing I had to do was not only put the food down, but put the excuses down, the excuse that somehow I was worse. Um, I also had mental illness, and I would use that as an excuse. And the truth is, is that um, there is no excuse. It's an equal opportunity program. Um, yes, I, I'm on medication and things like that because I have outside issues, and I have to be in order to be mentally stable enough to work the program. But that's no excuse for me to pick up the food today. You know, I have... Um, these steps, I have fellow OAs that I can call, you know, that, that, can, that can support me. I have 10, 11, and 12. You know, I have a higher power who loves me no matter how much I weigh or what I look like or what my past looked like. God loves me and forgives me no matter what. Um, so if you're new and you're struggling, you know, um, this isn't about me battling this disease. This isn't about me fighting against the current. This was about me surrendering and saying, you know what, I don't know it all. I don't have all the answers. I'm not the best. Please help me. God, please help me. You know, vision for you, please help me. Just please help me. And today I ask God to help me, to use me first. I mean, I'm sorry, to help me first and then to use me. 
to however he needs to use me. Um, I think that's all I have today. Thank you for letting me share. That's all I have. Thank you, Christine, for giving so much to us today. That personal story and the journey and the power that is promised in the big book was just so clear and evident. We appreciate that so much and what a blessing it is for a vision for you. Thank you so much. We will have Christine leave her contact information at the conclusion of this meeting, so please hold tight for that. The share ID for this Sunday special edition, Sunday, September 3rd, 2017, is 10386. 10386. For now, though, let's open up the lines to those who have questions for Christine about the presentation that she gave today. Are you ready for that, Christine? Yes, I am, Annie. Excellent, excellent. Who would like to ask a question of Christine today? Press star one, please. This is Karen M. Hi, Karen. Let's see if we get anybody else just before we have you get going. Anybody else Hello. have a question for Christine? Hello. Hello. Hello, can you hear me? I can. Would you like, do you have Hello, a question for Christine? Beverly, and I, my question is... Um, Beverly, can I have you I, hang on for just a moment, please? I'm going to get a couple more people before we start, and Karen's just before you, so hold on, please. Anybody else with a question this morning for Christine? I thought that I heard one other person, but perhaps we didn't. So, Karen M., your question first, and then we'll move to Beverly's. Good morning, Karen. Hey, good morning. Um, okay, I just need a page number. You shared something that really touched me, but I didn't write down the page number of the big book. And it was something about God doesn't make it too hard too hard to turn. Okay. Um, that is on page. Hold on a minute. It was step one, I think. It was under the honesty. Yeah, um, I'm not sure where that is right now. Okay. Maybe you didn't say it. I don't know. I that that's why because all oh, it is the page. it is it is it is in uh, we agnostics and it's on page 46. Awesome. Okay, thank you. All right, okay. and then my other question too was about um, with what has to do with honesty too when you're you know really looking at all the different uh, different ways that we did and I know you mentioned like the prostitution. And I had this um, this memory come back to me, and I was wondering if you could share your experience on it. So the memory was I was married, and I would go to dinner with men who invited me to, like, find, you know, like any type of fine dining experience. I would go. And I just remembered that, and I thought, oh, wow, because I'm brand new to this program, and... Um, I'm thinking that obviously, I mean, that was connected because I wasn't married to a man that could provide that type of food for me. So anyways, I thought, I wonder if that's like a form of uh, food prostitution. Um, I really don't know. I really can't say. Um, I can't, you know, I'm not the judge of anybody. I just know for me, 
Um, I was willing to do things like that too, which for me, I was I was willing to go to any lengths to um, for someone to feed me. <laughs> you know what I mean? So for me, it was a form of prostitution because I was giving my body away in exchange for dinners and for money and things like that. So you would have to, you know, you would have to come up with what you think it is for you on your own. But that's been my experience. Thank you, Karen. For your question, Beverly R., you're next. Star one, please, to unmute yourself. I'll give her a couple seconds here. Star one, Beverly, and ask your question, please. Well, I would like to then just open it up again to anyone else that has a question for Christine this morning. Press star one, please. Cynthia C. Cynthia C. Let's see if we have anybody else. Cynthia, can you hang on? Yeah. Hello. I heard. I heard. Can I be heard? Yes, you can. Hello. Yes. Hello. Hi. Julie F. I got you, Julie F., and somebody is saying hello a couple of times. Would you like um, to give your name for a question? This is Kim. Hi, Kim. First initial of your last name? S. S like Sam? Yes. Got it. Thanks so much. Anybody else? Let's go with that group then. Cynthia C., would you like to go ahead with your question? Yes, thank you for moderating the meeting. And Christine, thank you so much for sharing. I so moved and touched and got so much out of it. Thank you so much. I'm wondering if you could talk maybe a little bit more about two areas that I'm working on and I you know, would love to get a little bit more insight into other people's process. Is one, you spoke really well about praying and, and letting go of your character defects and your fears. So I'd love to hear possibly a little bit more about that. And also about the amends, like making amends to, you know, people who are close to us, maybe people who we work with. Um, If you could just speak a little bit more about that, I would be very grateful. Thank you very much. Okay. Um, So thanks. That's a great question. So with the um, amends, I'll start off with that. Um, I just... um, like I said, followed the direction of uh, a sponsor and the direction of this book. And on page 76, all the way to page um, 83 at the bottom, you know, there is um, clear-cut directions on exactly how I can make amends, you know, for different situations, um, domestic situations, criminal situations, things like that. And... um, you know, also, like I said, consulting with the sponsor and finding out what amends need to be made um, and, and, and in what ways um, and consulting with God because um, just going out and doing it on my own, I had no idea what I was doing. So for me, um, I try to err on the side of caution and just try to do what the first 100 did and follow the book and follow um, God's direction and follow the direction of a sponsor. Um, I don't try to add my own things on or anything like that because when I deviate from this book, that's when I get in trouble. Because for me, 
I don't have all the answers, but for me, the answers are in this book. Does that help? Um, yeah, that's that's great. I guess I was just wondering a little bit more of, um, no, that's that's great. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Cynthia C. Julie F., your question, please, star one. Julie S. I'm here. Sorry, it took me a second. Um, okay. Thank you so much for your share and um, just your transparency um, in order to help another fellow. My question is this. What do you do on a daily basis to enlarge your spiritual experience? To enlarge my spiritual life? Yep. Okay, so what I do is, um, what I do to stay recovered is that um, I get up in the morning and I get on my knees and um, I follow step 11 directions in the big book. First, I I go through 1, 2, and 3 and I um, talk to God about my powerlessness and the unmanageability. And I tell God that, you know, I know you can and will and have restore me to sanity. Um, and then I um, can go through um, step three, and then I say the third step prayer, and I say the seventh step prayer. First, I ask God to that I be divorced from self-pity, dishonest, and self-seeking motives, first of all, so that my thinking is clear. And then I go through the on-awakening section in step 11, and um and then what i do is i um i try to pause through the day when agitated or doubtful and ask god for the right thought or decision so i'm not running on self-will and i can be um in much less in much less danger of excitement fear anger worry self-pity or foolish decisions and then um a lot of days I'll read page 60 to 63 just to remind myself about my selfishness and self-centeredness. And then I'll read pages 84 through 89 just to remind myself about 10, 11, and 12 because I can forget real easy what the daily directions are. And I don't do that every day, but I do that a lot of the time. Um, I pray. I meditate in the morning. Um, I pray all through the day. I live in steps 10, 11, and 12. So whenever I'm selfish, dishonest, resentful, or fearful, I um, I pray. I reach out to another fellow, and then I do a 10-step so I can get unblocked. And then um, I improve conscious contact in step 11 through prayer and meditation. And then I do work with others. I have women that I sponsor in Overeaters Anonymous. <laughs> that I take through the book, I take through the 12 steps and give away what's so freely given to me. And then, um, at not, and I try to be as helpful wherever I can, try to be of service wherever I can. And when I fall short, I ask God for direction and I 10 step again. I have to 10 step several times. And then um, at night, I do a night to review and I send it to my sponsor. Um, I also spend, send it to another group of people in another program. And I want to mention that I also send my food on a daily basis. A lot of people don't do that. Um, I do that because I have a healthy respect and a healthy fear of this disease. And um, 
I don't want my, my food plan to be a secret, and I want to make sure that I'm being honest with me. So that's why I send my food every day. And those are the things I do. Thank you so much. Thank you, Julie F. Kim S., your question, please. Hello? Hi, Kim. Your question, please. Good morning. Um, Christine, I uh, sat here crying listening to your story, and there's several things in it I can relate to, so thank you for sharing. Um, I was writing down your principles for each step, and I am back new to the program again after 20-some years, and um, so I'm now doing Al-Anon meetings on Monday nights, um, doing working with a guide on the, and just started the big book and listening to these meetings on Sunday mornings. And um, I didn't hear what the principle was for steps 6, 7, 11, and 12, and I had written the other ones down. So step six, the principle is willingness. Okay. Step seven, the principle is humility. Okay. Did you say step ten, the principle is perseverance? And eleven? Eleven is spiritual awareness. And twelve? Twelve is service. Okay. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you, Kim S. Are there any other questions today for Christine? Press star one for your questions for Christine this morning. Hi, this is Toby. Hi, Toby. Want to go ahead with your um, question? Yeah. Um, yes, yeah, so, uh, first of all, I was very moved and touched by, by your share. I came in a little late, but what I heard was, um, r- really amazing. And, um, and, you know, I have trouble with the amends. I don't, I, um, like, I think I owe an amends to my son and daughter-in-law. And, um, Right now they live overseas, but I'm going to see them soon. And when they were here, I kept forgetting <laughs> to make the amends. Now that again that they're there, I uh, I keep reminding myself: is it better to do it like over the phone uh, or in person, so that uh, I could just get it off my chest? Is is there like a better way? Um, what uh, step are you? What step are you on? Um, well, I, with my sponsor, I did complete the steps, but things um, would linger on that I haven't completed. Okay, so um, are you still working with the sponsor? Well, she doesn't really want to work on it anymore. She said, okay, go so, to God, she said. So I can, t- I can tell you um, my experience. And that is um, that I um, have to follow the book, of course, but also um, get with God and see what he wants me to do. But also I have to um, run it by a few recovered people, write the amends out. This is just what I do. And run it by a few recovered people to see if I'm on the right track. Um, 
And, um, you know, the big book does say that if a person cannot be seen, we send them an honest letter. But I was taught that if I can make a face-to-face amends, to definitely do that if I was able to do that. But also to um, set up up an appointment with that person at their convenience, not at my convenience, and um, let them know, you know, ask them if I could have some of their time because there's some things that I wanted to discuss. So um, that's the way I was taught. Now, if I um, set up an appointment, do I do it with both of them at the same time? It's kind of the same. That, uh, that's, one probably, one. that's probably something you would want to talk to some recovered people about and okay. consult with your higher power about, okay? Okay, okay. Okay. Um, I have one more, but I don't know if, I, if, um, if I'm allowed okay. to give it up, you know, talk about it now. Um also, my therapist, um, like from 30 years ago, I went to Israel, and we set up like uh, we'll do letters, you know, in those days, and I should pay for the letters. But uh, the first time I did pay, but the second time I didn't, and I don't know, you know, I haven't been in contact with them for, you know, 30 years, and I don't know, you know, where they are exactly. Um, but I know I do owe money for one more letter. Uh, which I didn't pay for. So do I look for them or, I don't know, give to an organization or or something like Um, that? Actually, um, you know, the big book says that, you know, we, we, you know, that if we have, we have to go to any lengths also to face our creditors. And then if we, you know, talk to our creditors and set up the best deal we can, so that's what I was taught too, straight out of the book, to set up the best deal I can with the creditor. But in my experience, um, I was taught that I can never say that I'm going to do something that I can't do or that I'm not willing to do, that once I, you know, make that arrangement, I need to keep up with that arrangement. But, again, that would be something that you get with your higher power and get with some other recovered people about as well. Mm-hmm. Thank you again, and thank you so much for your share. It's, it's unbelievable. Thank you. Thank you, Toby. Thank you. Any other questions today? This will be the last call for questions for Christine. A chance to do that. Press star one. Any questions that are on your mind? Be on the mind of many. There are lots of us in this room today. I have a question. This is Yolanda. Hey, Yolanda. Good morning. Hang on just one second. Maybe one more second here. Anybody else with a question to go after Yolanda? Well, thank you very much, Yolanda. You will be our question to close out this wonderful presentation today. Good morning to you. Good morning. And thank you so much. Thank you so much, Christine, for for your share. Um. (laughs) And I identified in with so much of what you said, particularly um, when you spoke of your son's murder. I experienced the same thing with my husband, so it brought up a lot of memories. And um, my question is, I I, I listen to you and I and I see how you um, apply the the big book in your life on a daily basis, and you mentioned that there are times when. Um, you have food thoughts. Could you um, tell me or explain, like, what, when those times are, like, what what brings on those food thoughts and um, 
how long they last, and could you just, like, basically what brings them on? Um, It's usually when um, I'm trying to run the show, when I'm, like I said, deviating from the book, and I'm deviating from steps 10, 11, and 12, and I'm trying to run the show, um, I'm living in some kind of defect, which for me, it all boils down to selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. And so how long they last depends on what I do. So for me, I was taught, and it's been my experience, that, um, you know, when I have a food thought, because it's not an obsession anymore. The steps have driven out the obsession. But when I have a food thought that I pray and I reach out and I call someone, I don't sit there and play with it or, you know, and I found myself doing that at times. And I'm like, what are you doing? Um, God always restores me to sanity and says reach out, you know. And so the quicker I reach out to God, the quicker I reach out to a fellow OA and 10-step it and get reconnected in step 11 and um, resolutely turn my thoughts to someone I can help in step 12, then the thought goes away. It goes away. But if I sit and play with it, you know, I, I can't afford to sit and play with it or to sit and, you know, um, you know, think of how great it was because it wasn't great. It was killing me. And you know what? When I do have a food thought, um, I, 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 I'm able to react in a recovered state. Like after I have the food thought, it'll be God will say, okay, you can do that, you know, if you want to die because for me, um, getting back into the food could mean getting back to everything else. And even if I didn't have any other addictions, the food can kill me just as well. So, um, so yeah, that's what I do is I pray and I reach out. And um, it's like kind of like a stray cat. If you don't feed it, it'll go away. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Yolanda. Thank you. And thanks so much, Christine. And that will conclude our time this morning. Thank you so much, again, from my heart um, for the experience and strength and hope that you have offered to us today. So um, I'd like to end our meeting the way we always end our meeting here at A Vision for You is with page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you 